Good morning, Mission View. Good morning. Welcome. So glad to see you here this morning. A lot of new faces. My name is Matt. Um, is this your first time here? I'm the lead pastor here. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. We are um, in our Advent series, and it's been awesome so far. I think we have some of the best musicians in captivity. Man, that was, uh, I love, I love the, how they intertwine the songs and uh, the Christmas carols and everything. Mike, thank you so much for that reading. Pat, that was just powerful. Shalom. Peace, right? Peace be with you. Just a couple things I want to uh, fill you in on. Before we jump into today's sermon, um, we have um, a security team that we've put together. I don't know if you noticed, but we have a sheriff here today. Um, he's here just to, to watch things, protect things. And um, we started thinking about this uh, a long time ago. It's been about five or six weeks ago, putting together a security team. And we want to be proactive, not reactive. And uh, just put some things in place for security. So if you notice, we'll have a, sh a sheriff's car here um, from here on out and uh, just being proactive on the security thing. So if you have any questions about that, feel free to call the church office. We'd love to talk to you about it if you have any questions. Another thing coming up is our Christmas Eve service. We're really excited about this. This uh, whole Advent series called The Arrival is leading up to the celebration of Christ coming at Christmas Eve and at the Christmas Eve service. So um, we anticipate a ton of people being here, and um, that means a ton of kids. But here at Mission View, we're used to that. We have a ton of kids every week. I don't know if you know that or not, but we have upwards of 100 kids in our kids' area every week. Yeah, right? I think we have like 99 kids in there half the time. Yeah. But with that being said, uh, we're expecting even more than that on Christmas Eve. So I want to just put this out there. If you would like to work with kids, if you want to help out with watching some kids on Christmas Eve, we need you back there. So um, uh, you can sign up for that. and We'd love to have you back there. All right. This weekend sermon. Let's pray. Let's pray and focus our hearts before we jump into uh, the sermon today. Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, right now, Lord, as we've... we've um, We've sang these songs, we've focused our hearts and mind on your peace, on who you are. Father, I just pray that uh, you would illuminate these words from your, your scripture, that it would, um, would take root in our hearts, that, uh, that your Holy Spirit would uh, bring an understanding, a deeper understanding of, of who you are and, and the plans that you have for us and the plans that you've, you've set forth since the beginning of time. God, we hold your word high. We hold you high. And we ask that you would have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're, we're kind of taking a, a journey through Scripture this Advent season. And we started off our Advent series in the book of Genesis. And last week, we talked about creation, how God created everything, and it was good. That's right. God created everything and it was really, actually he says it was very good. But then we find out, you know, um, very, in a very short time later, we're, we're talking like talk chapter one creation. We have one of the most beautiful, amazing pictures in all of scripture that God created this paradise, this garden of Eden. And it was just amazing. But we found out that it didn't take long for humanity to kind of blow it. Like, the next, the two chapters later, we have the fall. And it's probably one of the darkest, one of the just darkest scriptures we have in all of the Bible, where, where the serpent comes and tempts and humanity falls. And we said that there was a chasm created, 
that sin created a chasm between God and man. And um, we found out, though, that there's hope. Last week we talked about hope. That as, as God was talking to the serpent, he said that, that he would put enmity between him and Eve, the, the seed of Eve, and that, that he would, would crush the serpent's head and the serpent would, would bruise the heel of Eve's seed. We see in this is a, a prophecy even of Christ's coming. This, is, this, statement, this statement was so important. I didn't get to dive into it last week, but I want to dive into it a little bit this week as we talk about it. This is so important. That statement is so important that the, theologians gave it a special name. It's known as the Proto-Evangelium. And um, it's a God's statement to the serpent in the Garden of Eden about how the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. It's in Genesis 3.15 if you want to look at it. A proto-evangelium is a Greek word, a compound word. And um, protos um, uh, meaning first and evangelion meaning good news. Interesting, right? First good news. This was, this was the first reference to the gospel that we have in Scripture. Really powerful. Isn't that awesome? I mean, the gospel, of God, we see it right there in the beginning. Think about that. Thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago, God had a plan put in place for you and me. In Ephesians, the Bible says that before time began, he knew us. Before time began. He knew you and me. That's the, that's the kind of, of plan, that's the kind of sovereignty that, that we have in God, that God has. Now, what does that mean for us? What, as we're talking about this and we're taking this journey through Scripture, especially today, what does it mean for us that God is truly sovereign, that God actually has a plan that was set in place before time began? What does that mean for you and me? It means that we can have peace. It means that we can have peace in the hardest of times. Doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter what we face in life because we serve a God that's in control of it all. In control of it all. And in that, we can have true and lasting peace. And it's amazing stuff. I love, I love looking into Scripture, especially the Old Testament, and seeing, seeing pictures of Christ. It's a powerful, powerful thing. So I'm hoping that as we, we look into this book, the Bible, uh, we find out and we realize that it's no ordinary book, that it is truly supernatural, miraculous, and divine. This is an epic, a story, a love story that we talked about from Genesis to Revelations, a story of God's love for you and me. So today we're going to be moving on through the story and we will again be in Genesis. So please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. We will look at God's promise to another man named Abraham and how he intends to follow through with what he said in Genesis chapter 3, what we just talked about. How he is going to bring this seed of woman to crush the serpent's head. He would separate out a people from all other peoples. 
And he would guide them and protect them in order to bring Christ into the world through this chosen people, through this chosen bloodline. And then we're going to jump to chapter 26. So if your Bible, like mine, has these little tabs, you can, you can put it over in uh, Genesis chapter 26. And we're going to see in Genesis chapter 26, verses 3 through 5, how this promise continues. This promise to Abraham continues on through Isaac and Jacob and then we will move on to Exodus, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning in Exodus uh, chapter 12, verses 21 through 50. Is that a lot of scripture or what? I mean, that's a lot of scripture. So uh, stick with me. We're going to work through this in about four and a half hours. And uh, we'll be good to go. No, I'm just kidding. Man, I love how all scripture points to Christ. So as we read these stories, let's not forget the big picture, okay? Let's not forget the big picture that God is working his plan in order to bring his son to earth and save us. So let's start here at Genesis chapter um, 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. You might want to underline that. <laughs> he fell on his face and laughed. That may not be a good thing to do when, when, when God is talking to you. Just, just a side note. He fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant. Now, covenant's another word for promise. I will establish my promise with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant or promise with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year when she's 91 years old. Here we see the establishing of a covenant or a promise that God has chosen Abraham to be the father of a people that God would use. Now, it's interesting to note that God would work a miracle in order for this promise to happen. God's going to work a miracle in order for this promise to happen. That miracle is that Sarah's going to have a baby at 91 years old. How many women here believe that is a miracle? Anybody? I mean, that is a huge miracle. But how oftentimes... How oftentimes do we go through life and, and, and think about the promises of God and, and think, God, there's no way. There's, there's no way that, that, that you could do that in my life. God, that you could, that you could change my heart in that way. I have, I, maybe it's this. Maybe, maybe you've been struggling with a sin for so long. And you, you've heard and you've read in his word that, that Christ died to set us free from slavery to sin. And you're, you're like, God, I just don't see it. This has been years. Maybe it's been decades. I want you to know that God lives up to his promises. That he can set you free. 
that Christ died, that we would be set free from slavery to sin. Have you ever doubted that God could do something? It's okay, you can be honest, we're in church. Have you ever doubted that God could do something? I remember early on in ministry, um, I was at a church in Dayton, Ohio, and every Friday, each of the pastors would be on call for emergency phone calls. And it was, it was my Friday to be on call, and I get a, a call, I think it was around 3 o'clock in the morning, if I remember right, and a, a guy in our church named Jeff, he was a counselor, his wife was pregnant, and she was due uh, fairly soon, and he said, um, I couldn't hardly understand what he was saying, he was crying, and he said, um, something to the extent of our, our baby has died, um, it's going to be born at the hospital, would you please come and do a, a dedication um, when the baby's born. I was young in ministry, and I was like, I, you know, I'm like texting my dad, not getting a text back. I'm texting the pastor, not getting a text back. And I just get in the car, and they're at the VA hospital. They were in the military, and I'm heading down there in, in, to Dayton and driving in the car. And I've got my Bible, and I, this is probably not a good idea to do, but I've got my Bible opened on the passenger seat. I'm like praying. Oh, oh, it's that, that real super, super spiritual prayer. Oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> right? Like literally, that's what I'm praying. You know, that nothing else would come out. I need you, oh God, oh God. And I've got the Bible open. I'm just reading through scripture as I'm driving down 675. Not the safest thing to do. Uh, luckily at three in the morning, there was no cars on the road. And I, I, I'm just like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? What do you do? And I, I was just at a loss, and, and I was, I felt, I know the Bible says that we're to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. And so God, in His grace, calmed me. I remember opening uh, my Bible, having it, and um, walking in, and um, walking into the room where she was, and she, um, she looked at me and she said, would you just pray that my baby would live? Ugh. And I would, I'd, love to, I'd love to stand here and say, like, you know, you know, I had this great faith come over me, you know, and, and I was just ready to, you know, pray that her baby would live. I didn't have that. But I, I said, yes, pray. And I was just, I remember just, Man, I, was, I had nothing. And I was just, I just started praying. I said, God, I, 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 Lord, I just pray you'd work a miracle that this baby would survive. And, um, Lord, but I pray, Lord, your will be done. And, um, prayed a prayer, a short prayer. And, and I was just, um, and I prayed for comfort for the family and, and different things. And, um, as I was praying, uh, a rush of nurses and a doctor rushed in and um, they said, sir, you're going to have to leave the room. They rushed me out of there and I'm out in the hallway and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, I, you know, this is it. I'm going to, this is where I'm going to have to come in and, and there'll be a, you know, a, a, a baby that had, had died and we'll do a dedication. And I was in the hallway for about 10 minutes and I heard a baby cry. And I was like, what in the world? And I, I was just like, I'm hearing this baby cry. Jeff comes out of the room. He's like freaking out. 
He's like, this baby's alive. Our baby's alive. And he said, there's a couple complications, but, but um, our baby's alive. And I, you know, I, I can't explain that. All I know is that that family, that they wanted their baby, they were told that that baby wasn't going to live, and that baby lived. You know, God can do things that are so much bigger than us. God, God can do things that we don't understand that our theology can't explain. God is bigger than what our minds comprehend. Have you ever thought that God couldn't do something? Now we're going to talk about the promises of God today. And as we get there and I read through them, I just want you to think about them for your life, for what he's done. Now this promise Continues. The promise that he's made to Abraham and Sarah, this promise continues through the family line of Abraham to his son Isaac. And, and we see that, as I said, in Genesis 26. So let's jump over there. 26 verses 3 through 5, it says this. I hear those papers ruffling, so I'll wait. I love it. It says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws." Notice the promise of, in your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. All the nations will be blessed from this offspring. How is that going to happen? How, does all the off, how, does all, how do all the nations be blessed from his offspring, Isaac's offspring? It's through the person of Jesus Christ. That people from, people from every tribe and tongue and nation, there's going to be representatives, representatives in the kingdom of God, that come to know Jesus Christ. All nations. This is really, really important for us to realize. It is completely and totally miraculous that God has sustained, protected, and fulfilled this promise to Israel. Through hundreds of years, multiple threats, and insurmountable trouble, God was faithful and God prevailed. And it's truly miraculous. We see this faithfulness to Abraham, then to Isaac, then on to Jacob, then to Joseph. And in the first chapter of Exodus, we have a list of the descendants up to Moses. Here is where we're going to spend most of our time today with Moses. Now, let me fill you in a little bit on the story of where we're going to pick it up. You see, the people of Israel were fruitful in Egypt. They grew in great numbers and, and filled the land. This was all good until a new king came into power that didn't know or remember Joseph. You see, Joseph had made a huge impact on Egypt. He was wise in leadership. God used him miraculously, sparing the Egyptians and, and many people from certain death during a, a time of long famine. Now, the Bible says that this king or pharaoh was evil, and dealt harshly with the Israelites. He worked them like a relentless slave master. So God being faithful raised up Moses to speak on God's behalf. 
God wanted Pharaoh to set his people free from captivity and slavery, but Pharaoh didn't want to lose his large number of slaves. Moses goes to Pharaoh and performs miracles and tries to convince him that God, that the God of the Israelites is the one true and most powerful creator God, but Pharaoh doesn't listen. So God sends down 10 plagues to show Pharaoh his power. Now, I'd encourage you to read this story in Exodus. It's awesome. I love this story. You've, maybe you've even seen the, mo, the, the movie, um, Ten Commandments or whatever it's called, but it's, it's a powerful, powerful story. And we're going to pick it up. Uh, we're going to pick up the story at the 10th plague, and it's the last and final plague. We'll pick it up in Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Now, this is really important stuff. So, so listen to the kind of these guidelines God gives here. He says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You might want to underline that. And no plague will befall you, destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. The first thing I want to point out about our, our text here in Exodus today is this, that God is passionately faithful. God is passionately faithful. That's the first fill in in your notes today. God is passionately faithful. Faithful. This wasn't a matter of happenstance. It wasn't some accident. God wanted the world to know who he was and what he was all about. God is going to do what he has promised. God had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that he would be their God. They would be his people. He would protect, care, and provide for them in order to bring about the promise he made in the garden. And he was and is going to fulfill that promise. God has promised us something as well. God has promised you something as well. 
If you have put your trust in Christ, he says that he is coming back again one day. He's going to make all the wrong things right. You know, we don't always keep the promises of God in mind. I mean, it's easy for us to get caught up in the the chaos of this world and temptation and the struggles and suffering or, or maybe it's even the joy of this world, the good things that God's given us and we get caught up in all of those things and distracted by all of those things and we, we have a tendency not to keep God's promises at the forefront of our minds. So I wrote down just a few of God's promises and I just did a couple out of the New Testament, but listen to this. Here's just some of God's promises to us today. God promised salvation to all who believe in his son. Romans 1, 16 through 17. There's no greater blessing than the free gift of God's salvation. God promised that all things will work out for good for his children. In Romans 8, 28. This is the broader picture that keeps us from being dismayed by present circumstances. God promised comfort in our trials. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. He has a plan, and one day we will be able to share the comfort we receive. God promised new life in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Salvation is the beginning of a brand new existence. God promised every spiritual blessing in Christ in Ephesians 1, 3. Whereas in the Old Testament, Israel had the promise of physical blessing, the church today has been promised spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. Our inheritance is reserved for us, 1 Peter 1.4. God promised to finish the work that he started in us. In Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion even at the day of Christ. That our sanctification and our growth in Christ, the change that he's doing us in us, isn't dependent on us. It's dependent on his faithfulness and his promise. God promised peace, shalom, when we pray in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. His peace is protection. It will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. God promised to supply our needs. God promised us rest. Jesus promised abundant life to those who follow him. Jesus promised eternal life to those who trust him. Jesus promised his disciples power from on high. In this power, they turned the world upside down. Jesus promised that it will return one day for us. You get the picture? You getting the idea? All of these promises. All of these promises from God. So as we look at the great lengths God goes to keep his promise, the ten plagues, raising up and protecting Moses from harm and miracle after miracle that we're looking at, we can find hope in knowing that this same all-powerful God is going to work his will and his promises in our lives. Now, another thing I want to point out about the scripture today is um, God's plan is bigger than we can comprehend. That's number two. Your second fill-in in your notes today is this. God's plan is bigger than we can comprehend. Now, I love that we have the Old Testament. That we can, we can look back over hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds of years and see these, these stories and how they, they work out and see what God does through all of these different things. We can see God's plan unfold right before our eyes. Moses didn't have all of the stories that we have. Have you ever wondered, what in the world are you doing, God? Have you ever had one of those moments? 
Like something starts going on in your life and you think just, you're like, what? What's going on? Like, I don't see God's hand in this at all. I, I mean, you, you think about Moses' story. So God comes to Moses and he says to him, he says, he says, all right, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to tell him, set my people free and you're going to be my guy. Moses' first response was like, I think you got the wrong guy, God. I mean, I don't even talk well. Like, I, I, this, you can't, you've got the wrong guy. The guy's like, no, no, no. No, you're, you're my man. You're going to go before Pharaoh. I want you to tell him to set my people free. So I'll, I'm going to go, but you got to promise me, man, that you're going to go with me. Because, I mean, this is crazy. The Pharaoh's going to kill me. It's going to be over. So we, we know the story, right? Moses goes before the Pharaoh. And at this point, if, if I was Moses, I'd be like, okay, I got this. God's with me. This is going to be it. I'm going to say, you know what? God said that you need to let his people go, and he's going to let his people go. Right? If I'm Moses, that's what I'm thinking, right? So Moses goes before Pharaoh, and he says, hey, God told me to come, and God told me to tell you that you need to let these people go. Pharaoh's like, ain't going to happen. What, what do you think at that moment, what do you think Moses is thinking? Well, that didn't go as planned. God, what do you got going on here? I'm standing here in front of the Pharaoh. He's going to cut my head off or something, you know? I thought you said that I was going to go tell Pharaoh, that, you know? And then plague after plague comes. Moses appears before Pharaoh over and over again. This, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one. I'm going to go before Pharaoh. All these frogs came in. I mean, Pharaoh's going to get the idea, right? Nope. Nope. Have you ever had one of those moments? You're just going through life and, and, and th things seem to be fine and God's on your side and, and then bam, something just hits you right in the face. You're like, what's happening? God, I thought I was your man. I thought, was, I thought we, were, we were bros. I mean, we were hand in hand. It was working out. And then this happens? How does this happen? God, what are you doing? Here's the reality. We struggle to comprehend God's plan because we have a small view of God and a distorted view of self. We struggle to comprehend God's plan because we have a small view of God and a distorted view of self. Here's, here's what I mean. Our minds can't really truly comprehend the immensity of God. We can make up all kinds of theological terms and we can study the scriptures and study the studies of the scriptures and we can, we can read all of the systematic theologies we want and, and, and all of the John Piper books we want and still come to an understanding of God and who he is that is limited, completely limited. Because God is God and we are human. How much can the created know of the creator? Only that which the creator reveals. And our, our human understanding can only wrap its, uh, its mind around a limited view of who he is. So even at the greatest understanding, I mean, think about the, some of the greatest minds of our time. And, and I, I love like getting, you know, on YouTube and, and watching Ravi Zacharias and, and John MacArthur and John Piper and, and these really, really smart guys talk about God. 
And here's what I found. <laughs> the more I study, the more I read, the more classes I take, the more systematic theologies I read, the more times I read through those scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, over and over again, and the more notes I take, you know what I find out? The less I know. You're right with me, aren't you? I'm glad it's just not me. Anybody else have ever feel that way? You're like, you're, you go through this book and you're like reading through and you're like, boom, my mind's just blowing. I'm like, I had never seen that before. And then you're just like, oh no, that just opened up a whole nother door. And you open up this whole nother door and it's a whole nother universe of, of this, this amazing God. You're just like, wow. You know, that's one of the things, that's one of the things I love about God. There is, we can't, there's no way that we can actually get to the point of where we wrapped our minds around him. And I love that. Because every time I open this book, there is more and more and more for me to gleam. The scriptures never become old, ever. Because we can never learn everything there is to know about God. Moses had no idea of the vastness of God's plan. Moses didn't know about the plagues. He didn't know about the parting of the Red Sea or the water coming from a rock or being led by a pillar of fire or climbing a mountain to have a one-on-one -on -one with God so that he could give Moses the laws that would protect and care for his people. It was, God, Moses didn't know that. After that initial meeting, I'm sure Moses was like, I'm going to go meet with Pharaohs and Seth, feel free, we're out of here. God doesn't always do the things the way we think he should do them. I don't think everything went as Moses planned. But isn't that how life goes? We do our best to glorify God with our decisions and actions. And when things don't work out perfectly, we begin to doubt God. Are you sure about this, God? I mean, really, really sure? Are, are you still in control? Because, man, if it was me up there, I would have done it this way. Have you, Come on, be honest, right? We may not say it out loud, but it's in there. It's, it's, it's right in the back of our minds, right? I remember when um, God first really started working on me about our, our finances. I really wanted to get out of debt. And I started reading this guy, Dave Ramsey. Anybody read Dave Ramsey? He got this thing, this whole idea about a debt snowball. It's a great thing. He's a great, great books on finances. And he had to get this debt snowball. And you start this debt snowball. And he says, you, you don't ever want to have a car payment. Don't ever have a car payment. So I'm like selling cars. And he says, you got to buy an old Civic, a Honda Civic, because they'll run forever, you know. And, and you buy one of those, pay cash for it, you know. And so I tell my wife, we got this plan set together, man. I'm going to go buy this Civic. So I find this white Honda Civic. It's got 100 and I forget, 140,000 miles on it or something. I'm like, I'm going to pay cash for this car. We're going to move. We're going to do this. And I get this car and take it for my first trip to Cincinnati. I drop off a guitar amp that needs to be fixed. And I'm driving it back and the transmission goes out on it and on my 45-minute drive. I was like, God, I did everything right. I did everything that you told me. I was like, I'm doing, I'm trying to be responsible here, Lord. I'm like, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I was, I have everything lined up, and, and I'm trying to be obedient here, and they say, you owe me. I said, whoops. That's not, that's not something ever you want to say to the Lord. <laughs> and it was right then, it was like, man, I'm going to teach you a lesson. All right? That was a hard lesson. You see, God doesn't do the things 
God doesn't do the things the way we want him to do them sometimes. You know why? Because he's more concerned about our holiness than he is our happiness. God loves you. God loves you way, 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 way too much to leave you the way you are. And you may be doing all the right, you may be checking all the right boxes. You may be doing all the right things. And God is so passionate about you that he wants more for you. He wants you this much closer to him. You may feel that it's just like locked in, that your relationship with him is just so tight. You know what he's saying? I want you tighter. I want you closer. I have more for you. I, have, I want to reveal more of myself to you. The last thing I want us to see in our text today is this. All Scripture points to the center of the story, the hero of the epic. We see a foreshadowing of Christ and the setting free of the Israelites from slavery. The third fill-in in your notes is this. Jesus is the lamb for you and me. Jesus is the lamb for you and me. It says this, we read it already. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. God's people faithfully celebrated this feast or meal every year, and we still do. But we celebrate it under a new promise or a new covenant. God's judgment is coming, but he has made a way for us to be passed over. We too, we too needed a spotless lamb, pure and blameless. We too need to be covered by the blood of the lamb. We too needed to be set free from captivity and slavery to sin. Do you see the picture God has painted for us to marvel at and be amazed? Moses didn't know that thousands of years later, we would look back at this story and we would see our story. That just like these Israelites, we were enslaved to a relentless and merciless slave master. Sin held us captive with its only purpose, death and hell and separation from God forever. You and I, we're desperate for a savior. We needed the blood of the lamb. We were captives in slavery to sin and a pure and spotless lamb came and was slaughtered and we are now covered by his blood if we put our trust in him. It is by grace through faith and the work of Jesus Christ. 
We now have a new covenant with God through Christ. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that we see this, this, amazing, this amazing picture come into true focus. You see, Jesus was meeting with his disciples in the upper room, and they were celebrating Passover, what we just talked about in Exodus. He's celebrating this meal, Passover. And it comes to the third cup of wine that they would ritualistically would celebrate. This third cup of wine was the, the cup of redemption. And he says, he says now, now, this is going to change forever. The meaning of Passover that you've celebrated for hundreds and hundreds of years, you're going to celebrate it for hundreds and hundreds of more years, but it's going to mean something completely different because now this cup of redemption stands for a new covenant or a new promise that I am making with you. He goes, from now on, this cup doesn't, doesn't symbolize the blood of a lamb that was put on a doorpost. It symbolizes my blood that's going to be shed for you. Drink it in remembrance of me, prophesying his own death, his own crucifixion. And then he took the bread and broke it. He says, now, from now on, this bread represents my body that's going to be broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. The new covenant the new promise and the person of Jesus Christ, the person and the work of Jesus Christ for you and me. If you don't know him, you need to know him. God loves you so much that he sent his only son that he would be the pure and spotless lamb that we needed. You think, think about the, the Israelites that for, for hundreds of years they slaughtered animals. I mean, just slaughtered them, bloody, nasty, just sacrifices for sin. Why? Why on earth would God allow people to just, just brutalize and kill animals and the blood and everything, just gory, nasty? You know why? For hundreds and hundreds of years, he allowed it so that we would see the seriousness of sin. And we would see the immense value of a Savior. For hundreds of years, they sacrificed animals. And we look back at it and we're like, wow, that's terrible. Yes, it is. Because that's how serious sin is. And that's how powerful the blood of Christ is. One sacrifice for all. We look back at it and it's terrible and it's awful and it's gross. Yes, it is. Because the exact opposite of that is who Christ is. We see the extremes and the picture that God painted for us. And we see the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus is. If you don't know him, I want you to know him. That Jesus was truly God and truly man. And he did what no man could do but him, live a perfect life that God required. He lived a perfect life in thought and deed. And then he died a sinner's death that you and I deserved on the cross. Defeating death and defeating sin. He was buried and three days later he rose again and was eyewitnessed by over 500 people. 
And then he ascended into heaven and he sits right now at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and me, making a way for us to be in right relationship with our creator. Do you know him? You know, we talked about last week that this is an epic, a love story from beginning to end. And that love story is a love story of a creator God who sent his only son for you and me. And we see it all throughout scripture, the miraculous and supernaturalness of this book, this prophesied coming Messiah that came and did everything that Isaiah said he would do in the Old Testament hundreds of years earlier. This is no ordinary book. This is no ordinary story. This is a supernatural story of a God who loves you. Amen? Now, if you're here and you don't know Christ, um, we would love to talk to you about that and pray with you about that. Um, we're going to have a, a few people up here available to pray with you later on. We've got a couple of announcements coming up in just a minute, but later on after the announcements, we'd love to be able to pray with you and talk to you about that. Or maybe you're going through something in life where you're like, what, what we just talked about, you're like, God, are you even in control? You know, maybe, maybe something's hit you right upside the head and you're struggling. We want to pray with you about that too. So we have a prayer team that would love to meet with you and pray with you. They'll be up here at the end of the service. And uh, Corey, who's coming up to announcements, will remind you of that in just a minute. But let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And this is, this is such a powerful story that we can look back hundreds and hundreds of years and see your promise and see your work and see your goodness, Lord. So we, we want to see Christ glorified in our lives and in this place and, and wherever we go, that you would be glorified through what we do and say. For those people who are here who don't know you yet, Father, I just pray that you would, you would continue this great work that you've begun in their hearts, Lord. And for those of us who are in relationship with you, God, we pray that you would give us a fresh revelation of who you are through your word. God, we want to know you more and more and more. So come and have your way in us. We offer this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for our closing song today.